The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, number 69 for September 11th, 2006. You remember where you were? I remember where I was. Remember the people that can't remember. Well, I used the wrong intro there, but uh, what did you? Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. How are you, John? With reverb, reverb, reverb. Yeah, I usually use the other one that Jeff made for us, but uh, hey, you know. Great, I'm 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 so rested because I had you know this nice vacation. You know, That's right. all uh, filled in for me there. And, uh, yeah, yeah. That was uh, talking about the Mac Networkers Retreat last time. That was <laughs> that was fun. I was actually very happy to to hear about that. Of course, we're referring to show number sixty eight, where I spoke with Paul Kent. But John and I are back, and tonight, this show, we have so much stuff to go through, it's ridiculous, because uh, we actually had a whole show planned, and then I started going through the mailbag and realized there's no way we can do anything but go through the mailbag. We've got, uh, I think, almost 23 minutes of, of mailbag stuff here. I don't know if we'll get through all of it, because, of course, John and I like to blabber between, so... And make Blabber. It, well, you know, we, we try to... I really prefer gab. We gab. That's right. That's what we're here to do. Blabber. Uh, Other podcasts, so. blabber. <laughs> uh, and I think that's... Uh, there's not a whole lot to talk about here other than just getting into this. And So let's get... Uh, we'll start with some automator stuff uh, that kind of wrap up that conversation and, and move on here. So... Hi, Dave and John. Uh, this is Alan calling from the Apple Center Project 3 in Cape Town on the southern tip of Africa. With a bit of luck, I'm your first, but hopefully not your last correspondent from Africa. I've been listening to the show for around 10 months now. Wow. I always get some useful snippets from the show, but uh, there are a couple of nuances to Automator and Get Info window items that you've been discussing over the last couple of shows that I thought you were missing. So it's a pleasure for me to be able to contribute back. We appreciate uh, as it. As far as Automator goes... The Save As plugin feature is something you glossed over in passing, and when it came to talking about automated actions last week, a little bit of investigation made, might have uh, made the solutions you're offering a little bit simpler. For example, if you save a workflow as a finder plugin, the workflow appears as a sub-item in the automated contextual menu item in the finder. So if you've got, for example, a rename files workflow that you've created that you've saved as a finder plugin, simply doing a select all then selecting the workflow from the automated contextual menu item will rename all the files. There's no need to drag and drop an, uh, to an automator app. If you saved an action as an iCal plugin, the workflow is created as an event in iCal, and then a timed alarm can be attached to it. The workflow will run at the specified time, including repeating alarms and so on. Uh, the other saved plugins are, are also quite useful. For example, the print plugin places the workflow in the PDF menu of your print dialog box, and the image capture plugin saves the workflow into your automatic tasks menu in the image capture app, and that'll enable you to do all sorts of post-import actions once image capture has downloaded your pictures from your camera. If you're interested in a bit more detail, check out www.automator.us for a nice overview of the Save As plugin feature. Excellent site, yeah. The other nuance I wanted to point out was an apparent confusion between the Get Info dialog box and the Inspector. Uh, the Inspector isn't just a fancy name for the Get Info window, its behavior is markedly different. For starters, it's a floating palette rather than a regular window, or a, a window for us old uh, hypercard users. So it's always in front of any finder window objects, uh, or finder windows. Secondly, its contents are dynamic. So, for example, if you opened an inspector with nothing selected on your desktop, its contents would show the desktop folder. But then simply clicking on any finder object would change the inspector window's contents to show whatever you'd selected. If you selected multiple objects, say three documents or a folder and two apps, the inspector would change to reflect the new highlighted items. So whenever you want to do a get info on a few items, and there are less than 10 of them, just do a command option I, select whatever you want, the inspector will reflect those selections, and then you can do whatever you want to them. You can label them, you can lock, unlock them, change permissions, and so on. That's it from me. Thanks for all the effort you put into the show. Just wanted to let you know that it's really appreciated. Cheers. 
Alan, your effort is appreciated, too, as is that of Alex, James, and everyone else who sent in basically those two comments uh, to us. That that inspector thing is actually really cool. I, I got this, well, I, I read the comment or listened to the comment for the first time, probably middle of last week, and have actually used that inspector in a much different way than I had used it previously. I was going through and uh, a couple of times needed to check the sizes of various folders and just le- did exactly what uh, what Alan described there. I left the inspector window open and simply clicked through in the finder and bam, the, the stuff would just appear right there. And uh, very, very handy. So it, uh, I was very happy to hear that and really wanted to, to share. Did you, have you ever used the inspector that way, John, or was this news to you as well? No, it was, uh, you know, when we were learning, you know, you and I were, you know, studying Automator. Yes. And, uh, and just looking at that one thing I brought up. So, no, I, I did. Uh, it's kind of a nice little uh, hidden gem in it there is. that uh, maybe they'll do some more with that. Yeah. Because the name doesn't really hint at, you know. Yeah. All the stuff you can do real time versus uh, kind of a static view. The other thing I thought was interesting was, um, you know, we, we did gloss over it, uh, but but the plugins. I mean, there is a Very pretty cool. wide array of plugins you can save with Automator yep. versus uh, workflows like folder actions, iCal alarms. I see. I'm looking here now. Image capture, print workflow, and script menu. Yep. Actually, we may have to uh, play with those in more detail because some of them sound uh, pretty interesting. Some are pretty straightforward, of course, like you know, folder action. Right. Right. And iCal Alarm, but some of the others, um, you could really do some interesting workflows. So, uh, so we'll have to, you know, we'll uh, we'll, we'll, di- we'll give we'll another look at Automator. Back. That's right. Yeah, because we were saying before that you know Apple Script is the way to go, but it sounds like Automator has uh, these hidden things as well. So that's right. Good stuff. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Cool. Uh, okay, so we've got we've actually got a bunch of tips from you that uh, we wanted to share with you, and by that I mean not you that sent in the tip, but you know the rest of you. Anyway, you know what I mean. No. This is from Scott. Greetings. My name is Scott, and I'm a loyal geek listener from Switzerland. In a previous show, you discussed the options for wirelessly scanning with a multifunction printer scanner device. I thought I would mention an option you did not cover and relate my experience with it. I purchased it called a USB server from a company called Keyspan at keyspan.com. The device lets multiple computers, Mac and or Windows, connect to USB 1.1 devices using TCP IP. I've successfully used it to print and scan wirelessly, as well as connect to other USB devices. The server requires you to bring up a GUI and explicitly connect and disconnect from the USB devices. However, for printing, it can automatically connect when you submit a printing job and disconnect when you are done. Unfortunately, my multifunction device did not play well with the server. I was trying to use a Hewlett Packard PSC 2175 all-in-one. When I had problems, I contacted HP Support, and they told me that the device requires a power cycle between connecting to a Windows machine and connecting to a Macintosh. This limitation exists even without the USB server. Unfortunately, this power cycling requirement of the printer scanner in the mixed OS environment made the freedom provided by the USB server less useful to me. Still, something to check out if anyone wants to remotely use and share USB devices, especially if you can buy it from someplace with a reasonable return policy during a trial period. Hope this helps share the listeners. Enjoy. Hi, John and Dave. This is uh, Charles Morrison calling from Manitoba, Canada. I'm currently operating uh, extremely large farm equipment at low velocities, so I'll try to keep my right. distraction threshold uh, down during the uh, during the crops. Call. Um, crop circles, a indeed. Question from a caller about how to upgrade their older eMac. You mentioned uh, RAM upgrades, hard drive upgrades, and a processor upgrade. Uh, I use a lot of older Macs, and I've consistently found that upgrading from uh, 10.2 to 10.3 Panther or Tiger has increased the snappiness uh, and performance of systems. So, uh, and that was something you didn't mention that uh, upgrading to a newer OS perhaps will uh, uh, increase that uh, speed performance. Anyways, thanks. Love the show. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks, Charles. Uh, you know, that's interesting, John. It, upgrading to an OS can indeed. Uh, make things faster. They, they, uh, Apple obviously is always working on, uh, and presumably anyway, always working on optimizing bits and pieces of the OS that exist there. And certainly, yeah. it, and certainly, it makes sense that an OS upgrade may make things faster for certain people. Well, it, I'd say, I'd say, at one level, just to toss right. it in as software, you know, the stuff that I do. There's, there's 
ways that you can optimize your code through the compilers. So, you know, there's, sure. there's kind of a brute force way of writing your code that's very sequential and makes sense. Then you can say to the compiler, well, try to make this more efficient. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, some of the shortcuts that compilers take make it worse. do funny things. And yeah. actually, the, what I've done in the past with compilers is try to turn on every optimization switch and see if your code runs. Huh. And it usually won't. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a balance between code that's reliable and code that's fast, and a lot of compilers, you know, will have a setting that kind of goes between the two. Um, so I think that's what Got they it. do is as as they you know get the code and it's stable, which is always a good thing to start with. Then you start trying these different things uh, the compiler offers and see if you can squeak a little more out of there. Interesting. So I'd say I, I you know I haven't actually measured, and we we should look back at some. Uh, you know, older uh, TMO stuff there. I mean, I'm not sure how much more you can squeeze out. Sure, um, sure. But that's certainly one reason, especially since Apple has a you know pretty uh, reasonable upgrade cycle, like 18 months, that they can sweep more performance out of the same pieces of the uh, the OS or do something new, like you know Quartz Extreme and all sure. that stuff, where they started offsetting work to other parts of the system that were better. Better equipped, yep. but I but I think you had a you also had a couple observations about uh about well, that assumption. Yeah, I mean when you go in and update the OS, the install in the installation process does a lot of housekeeping, uh, you know, and and cleans out a lot of the sludge, if you will. Uh, just by mm -hmm. nature of what's happening, you can't inherit all the old caches, all the old. Uh, you know, if it, depending on how long it's been since you rebooted your system, and we're not going to get into that again, though you really should reboot fairly regularly, more than I would say at least once a week. But you know, we'll 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 leave that. There are many religions on that path. I am I am. Of People are own. shaking their fists and of anger course as they we are. Speak. That's right, and 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 holding up signs showing me how many months their Mac has been running. And if uh, and if you're shaking your fist, but you want to put it down for a moment and dial us. That's right. Two oh six 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 six. Geek. <laughs> but back on track. Thank you. Uh, but really, you know, cleaning all that sludge out it is a way of making the system faster. Simply rebooting the machine is a way of making the system faster because rebooting actually clears out a lot of the sludge. Specifically, it forces your system to uh, reset all of its swap files. So you're when you restart... Uh, you're starting fresh with with from a virtual memory standpoint, and that and that can really help too. But running an app like uh, like Cocktail or Onyx or even Tiger Cache Cleaner can really make a difference uh, right. with with your system. Of course, most of those apps when they're yeah. finished running, they're going to reboot the machine. So uh, yeah, and I was going to mention I think Cocktail because because yeah. I think there are typically some scripts that are built into most Unix installations mm -hmm. that will run if you leave the machine on. Yeah. Uh, will run on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to kind of clean out the cruft, and I believe uh, things like Cocktail kind of accelerate that. That's right. That's um, right. You know, you can schedule it more often, or just say, "Do it now." Clear, clear all the the, the junk out. Now, I, I noticed... think a rebinding is something that. Yeah. And you know, I see this a lot of times. I mean, it's almost predictable that when you uh, you know you see a new release of uh, the OS and you go to a, a site like TMO and look at the discussions, everybody says, "Hey, it got faster." It's like, yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, but it's dumb, dumb. not so much that you... <laughs> Did I say that? Did that come out? <laughs> yes. <laughs> not so much that you installed the update, but that you rebooted and That's it right. did some of the things that you were talking about, which is clean out the cruft and yeah. you know re reset the swap files and, uh, and things like that. <laughs> dumb, dumb. There you go. <laughs> hey, guys. Just wanted to leave a, uh, a short message... On um, a lesson that I learned and had to relearn, I just got back from vacation, went to start my Mac, and got absolutely nothing. Now, this is a lesson that I learned with, with uh, LC475, and what had happened then is I had come home, tried to start my LC475, and got nothing. I, uh, I panicked, as one would be um, ready to do. Took it to a local uh, Mac authorized dealer. They called me and told me that my motherboard was bad and, and needed to be replaced. Being a college student, couldn't afford much there. Went online and found that they suggested that uh, you replace a battery. So I had them replace a $5 battery. 
they charged me a hundred dollars to Ooh. to do that. They're now no longer in business. Oh, I good. kind of hope in some way that those things are are Evil. slightly connected. <laughs> the karma anyway, police I came at work. home from vacation uh, again um, yesterday. Mac wouldn't start. I had a G4 um, tower. I'd push the the power button, get a little white light, and then nothing. No hard drive spinning. Absolutely nothing. But remembering my expensive $100 battery from before, um, went and uh, found a, a, a battery, popped the battery in. Um, the important part is to also push the power management reset button, um, closed it back up, said a little prayer, and everything worked wonderfully well. Excellent. Yeah, that's uh, – and, and he, Smarty goes on to – talk about a couple other things there but it it is important to know that that your mac there's a, there is a battery in there that keeps the motherboard essentially in shape uh keeps the the clock going keeps the mm-hmm. uh what else does it do it it, well, it maintains the contents of the pram RAM. there you go yeah which, nv ram whatever you want to call it which is memory that uh yeah it just stores a whole bunch of things mm-hmm. your 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 time zone and the you know like you were saying the time and a lot of other things and yeah. when that information gets yeah, corrupted, it, like when your battery is running low. That's right. It, bad things happen. You, and you hit it right there. It's not that the battery is low or even dead that causes the problem, because Macs can run without the battery. Uh, many of them. I don't know if all of them can, but I think mm. probably all of them. But it's that the information gets corrupted in the in the PRAM or, or the CUDA, as Apple has, I guess the two are similar, related, but, 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 uh, but different. When that information gets corrupted, that's when your Mac won't start. And and as Smarty noted, you not only replace the battery, but then find that little red button on the motherboard. And it's there. I had to call AppleCare to have them tell me where it was on my Power Mac G4, even though it was right in front of me the whole time. But mm-hmm. uh, but it's there. And, and it can get corrupted even if the battery hasn't been uh, isn't discharged or low or anything. It can oh, happen Dave, anyway. what to do if that sort of thing happens? Press the button. <laughs> Press Which the ma- button, though? The magic red button. Ah, well, right. the yes, there's button. a magic red button. There's a few. Yeah, I don't know if every Mac has that, the yeah. little red button on the motherboard somewhere. Most, you think so? Most of them do. Yeah, the, the desktops certainly mm. do. Yeah, because yeah. if it gets corrupted, a, resetting yeah. the PRAM won't do it. It's my G5. I've never looked for that button, though, of course, there are a couple of uh, other key combos, and uh, I'd, I'd say the best guidance on that would be to go to the Apple site, and I actually tried this earlier yep. uh, tonight, but search for uh, things like, uh, I'll look here, you know, search for like, you know, uh, PRAM or NVRAM P-RAM, in the uh, support database, N- and it'll NVRAM, CUDA, give you instructions. Right? CUDA, yeah, things C- like that. C-U-D-A, and, uh, and also power management reset. Those would be the four. Yeah, PMU, I'm sorry. So PMU is one term. Yeah. PRAM is another Um mm-hmm. But if you go into the you know support database and search for those, because it kind of differs by machines. I mean, some you got to hold in a special button, especially on the power books. That's right, on the laptops, uh, yeah. or MacBooks, or whatever the heck they have a button hidden <laughs> somewhere. It probably has a little symbol next to it, and you need a paperclip. Right. Um, it's right. a little different. Usually, it's a key combo, or actually, in all machines, it's uh, usually a, a key combo. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's annoying, though. I don't know. You know, I think. I'm kind of with you on the, on the reason for that, but I think also I thought the battery powered the circuit that would detect. Because on a lot of Macs, when you hit the power key, oh, right. the keyboard, yes, um, and a lot of them, or I think some of the real early ones, that was the only way you could. Nah, I don't think they were that silly. Yeah. But but a lot of times the the power to power the circuit to detect that you press the key on the keyboard saying turn on that's the which has always been kind of weird on Macs. it's been a nice feature i think almost every mac has had a keyboard that would power the machine on and power it off uh on more importantly (laughs) and uh if that doesn't work that that makes your life kind of miserable that's right i don't know how much of that is hey guys uh, sorry i i thought you were done and i was gonna segue right into to Dave, nope. Dave's going to talk about the inspector quick, but but then he's also got another question that uh, that we'll address. Hey guys, Dave at Interface This in Cambridge, Mass. Hey, just local. discovered your podcast a couple days ago, and I've been listening to back episodes, catching up. 
Aha. It's great to see a podcast in the kind of Mac tinkerer space. Um, anyway, I, I have like a it. comment and a question. The comment goes back a couple episodes to when you were talking about the inspector and the get info window in the finder. Yeah, there yeah. actually is a greater difference between the two uh, than just whether they show single items or multiple items. Uh, regular get info window is static. If you open it up, uh, it shows information for whatever you open it up about, and it just stays there showing that information until you close it. The inspector is more like a palette in Photoshop. So once you've opened it up, it shows you information for whatever you've selected in the finder. And if you change your selection, the uh, inspector changes as well. It's so only important. visible when the finder's we active, told you twice. and uh, there's only one of it, so you kind of reduce clutter if you need to see information for a lot of I- items in sequence. Uh, so, for example, it's great when you're cleaning out your hard drive if you just want to click around and get information about a bunch of things without constantly opening and closing windows. My question is about the DVD ripping conversation you guys have been having over the last couple episodes. Um, what I'd love to do is get just a few movies on my MacBook so I have them to watch when I'm traveling. Um, but if I'm going to rip things, I would love to retain the original video and audio quality. So what I'm wondering is if with Mac the Ripper or with uh, Handbrake, there are some settings that I can get a nice standard video file that retains the full video and audio quality of the original DVD, um, including, ideally, the surround sound encoding. Now, I don't know if that just means I need to use Mac the Ripper and then uh, change the extension or something so that the video files uh, read as MPEG-2, or I don't know. Uh, I was hoping maybe you could help me out with that. So, uh, enjoying the show, and I look forward to the next installment. All right. This, uh, I, I believe Mac the Ripper is the only way that you're going to get what you want, including the surround sound data. Um, although I'm sure handbrake will get you close, uh, and, and someone may, may write in and, and tell me, no, handbrake will actually get you all the way there. But, uh, if you simply rip with Mac, the Ripper that creates MPEG two files, um, and Mac, the Ripper will, will let you decide if you want to grab the entire contents of the disc, including all the menus and all that stuff, or if you just want to grab the movie only, uh, and it'll put it in what's called a video underscore TS folder, which you can point DVD player to. Just open up DVD player, go to the file menu, and choose open video TS folder. It will point you point it at that, and it runs just like you had plugged a DVD in. So if you want original quality, no loss whatsoever, that's the way to do it. Uh, Handbrake will do some conversion because of, because of the way that it works. So uh, there, there may be some lossy, uh, some loss happening there uh, just due to the, the conversion process. Mac the Ripper, no conversion, uh, just pulls oh, it off okay. the disc. Because so. I, I did something, just to ask you, because okay. I recently um, created a, um, how shall we put it, a uh, backup right. of a DVD. That's what it's all, <laughs> that's what it's all about, baby. <laughs> but but it actually, um, and using Handbrake, which I haven't used, I mean, you, you, you're you uh, way more comfortable with this stuff than I am. But I'm like, you know, let me give it a shot. And actually, Handbrake, oh man, it was so easy. But it, yes. what I'm looking here is it has... A file, and it says the uh, more info dimensions seven hundred four by four hundred. Right, which I'm looking here is pretty close to a standard MPEG two resolution. I think technically it should be seven hundred four by four eighty. So this is a little smaller, but it looks like Handbrake may have taken a little liberty. But it looked when I viewed it, it looked pretty darn close to the DVD. So I think they're uh, and that was using the FFmpeg engine. I don't know if that makes yeah. a difference. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it did a pretty close job. So just some feedback on a uh, handbrake is, uh, you know, of course you lose the chapters. We were talking about that earlier and That's stuff right. like that. But um, but it put it out to a nice, uh, you know, pretty uh, compact file, <laughs> one gigabyte. Oh, Though I don't know how, yeah. how big the re- the uh, the original was. Well, so, uh, the ri- most movies range anywhere from three to about six gigs. So uh, you got to stay under that. You have that four point seven threshold, of course. You, with you the, uh, have four- that four point seven threshold. There are those of us with newer Macs that can burn dual-layer discs that no longer have that threshold. Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> you're right. I yeah, I right. need the dual-dual. The dual-dual, that's right. I only have the dual. I don't have the dual-squared. That's right. And dual-squared is four, right? Isn't that right? So it would be a quad-core. So. Is that right in the Mac Pro? Yeah. I think we call that a quad-core, right? Although it's yeah, not so quad-core on one chip, so there you go. Well, you, you put in a call for uh, a uh, review unit, right? Yes. Yeah, it's uh, still in the queue there. 
you know, I, I was talking with Apple uh, earlier last week, though, and, and wanted to tell everybody what's going on here. They, they convinced me that it's in our best interest to have sin- one single feed available in iTunes uh, because we're showing up in multiple places with both the enhanced and the MP3 feed. And and they they convinced me that really, if anybody's subscribing with iTunes, the enhanced feed is what they need now. We haven't changed anything for any of you that are previously subscribed. So if you're subscribed to the MP3 feed in iTunes, that is what you will continue to get. If you are subscribed to the AAC feed in iTunes, that's what you will get. However, if you go and search for Mac Geek Gab or you click on the link from the, uh, from the, the website, you will get the AAC feed. If you want the AAC feed and you're, and you're currently subscribed to the MP3, just go ahead and resubscribe. Uh, go to go to our website. Go to macgeekgab.com. Click on the iTunes link, or or go to iTunes and search for Mac Geek Gab. There's only one in there. I tested it myself, and click subscribe, and bam, you're uh, you're going to be subscribed to the AAC feed. It, it, Michael does a great job of converting this. Most of the time, it's up usually within 12 hours of the show being done. Sometimes less. Uh, very rarely is it more. He almost always beats John to the punch on the show notes. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> but uh but really it, you know the AAC feed it's it's the way to go um the, the the file actually usually winds up being a little bit smaller well maybe not i guess once the stuff's enhanced once the enhanced stuff is added the images and stuff it's probably about the same but uh but you get all the extra uh. stuff and you get the the links and all that good stuff so anybody subscribing new in iTunes will automatically get the AAC feed if you want the MP3 feed there's a link for that you can use the advanced feature in iTunes to subscribe to it no problem so because alas, uh, there are those who can't play right. There, the AAC files. There are some of you that use iTunes to download and then and then sync up to devices that won't play them. So the MP3 feeds there. Or if you're just a junkie and you absolutely need your dose of John and I the moment that it's available, then well, the MP3 <laughs> feed is the one that's, that's for you. So you can wow. listen twice. Subscribe to both. Right. That way you hear us, and then you can do the AAC as well. <laughs> and the ad department would really like that. Yeah, speaking of ads, we have a new sponsor on board. Uh, TeachMac has signed up for a uh, long-term campaign with us here. And so we're going to be talking about different aspects of mm-hmm. TeachMac. And the, the first thing I want to do is, uh, is take a, a quick minute here to explain what TeachMac is. If you go to their website, if you go to their website uh, and, and I say this with a lot of respect, the website doesn't really, it tells you a lot about the software, but it doesn't tell you what the software is. So... TeachMac is an application that you can download onto your Mac, but maybe not even your Mac. You might download it to your mom's Mac or your dad's Mac or your kid's Mac. And it's filled with, it's a shell into which you can put modules that train people how to do things with their Mac. Things can range from being very simple to very complex. It, uh, I, I saw one module for, for, teaching you how to use Apple's mail, right? And various, and it comes with different topics and you click on things and the, the, the little training vignettes, I'll call them, can be uh, as simple as a screenshot with a text description. It can be a, sc- a screenshot with an audio description or it can be a full movie with screen grabs and you know activity on the screen showing you what's going on. Very, very cool. Modules are available, of course, from TeachMac, but it's also open to third parties, so other people can can uh, can release their modules for this app. Very cool. Very worth checking it out at TeachMac.com. Like I said, we'll be talking about this for a while, so there's more to come, but TeachMac.com, of course, is uh, is the place to start. You can download the free version there and uh, and then pay for, for the modules. Most of the modules have a, a nominal cost. Uh, some of them are actually free or you can pay a subscription and just uh, get access. I believe access to all of the modules, but uh, they'll tell me if I'm wrong on that. So teachmac.com. <laughs> and uh, you know, speaking of mail, let's uh, let's jump to Travis's question here about, about sent mail. Hey guys, it's Travis. Love your podcast. Uh, I had a question about the uh, mail.app. Uh, I'm a, Fairly new uh, Apple user, um, but uh, getting to know quite a bit through uh, various means, as such as your podcast. I uh, am a big Thunderbird user, and of course, at work sometimes still have to use Windows. Um, but oh. I thought I'd take a chance that the Mail app, actually, right before you had mentioned uh, that you were looking at other options. Yeah. 
And one feature that I had an issue with, because I do use IMAP from my own server like uh, Dave does, uh, I had an issue with the sent mail. And it's pretty simple when it's uh, being dealt with in Thunderbird. And it goes straight to, uh, you know, the sent box for uh, either one of my two accounts, because a lot of times you have more than one account. Uh, and one thing I liked about Mail.app is that it actually has the, like, global inbox that will sort of consolidate yep. the view of those two uh, mailboxes. And that's a nice feature. Um, but my wife pointed out when I tried to get her turned on to it also that uh, when we go to try and send the mail, it actually doesn't seem like it's being uh, saving a copy in a sent mail uh, box that comes with Mail.app. Uh, so I'm having some issues trying to make sure that works. So I've just kind of fallen back to Thunderbird. Um, but I wouldn't mind moving to Mail.app. So if you could set some light on that, I'd appreciate it. And thanks a lot. You bet. Yeah, I, I have dealt with this problem as well. When you create an account on the IMAP server, it, subscri- it, it creates all the folders for trash, sent mail, drafts, and your inbox. That's the, those are the four standard IMAP folders. What's not standard, or at least what's not standardized between some IMAP folders and mail.app, is what the names of those folders are. Mail.app uh, only stores... Mail.app calls things... I believe inbox, sent, drafts, and and trash. Some IMAP folders will call one of the folders sent items or deleted items. And it's smart enough to store the stuff there. And it tells MailApp that it's storing the stuff there. But MailApp doesn't realize that it can consolidate all of this stuff into one trash box that's hierarchical or one sent mailbox that's hierarchical like it does with the inbox. However, it's very easy to uh, to fix this. What you'll find is you'll if if these things aren't assigned, you'll find a little folder uh, or a little icon rather f- with the name of your mailbox. And if you s- twist the triangle and and drop that down, you'll see perhaps a sent items folder or a deleted items folder. Click once on the on the folder of choice. Go to I believe the mailbox menu, and then go down to use this mailbox for, and you can set it to sent or trash or drafts or inbox. And then instantly it'll it'll do exactly what you're looking for. Uh, so hopefully that's the hopefully that's the magic. One other thing I wanted to mention that's different between MailApp and and um, Thunderbird and other IMAP program programs. The IMAP protocol supports something called idle, and what idle means is once the application makes a connection to the server, it if the server supports it and if the app supports it. The program just sits there and waits, and when mail comes into the server, the server actually sends a message back to your client that says, hey, there's mail here, and bam, mail magically appears on your desktop the moment that it comes into the box. Thunderbird supports this. Mail.app does not, so it's going through a checking cycle just like it does with pop accounts, and you can set it to one minute, five minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, and an hour. I think mail's got you know their little drop-down or whatever there. Mail does not support this idle command. Perhaps they will in a future version. Uh, you know, I don't know. I obviously not privy okay. to any of that. So. so I could see how different the different, different parties would be in different right. states. That's right. Or one expects the other. Okay, mm-hmm. got it. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, we had uh, no, a quick thing here. Yeah. Uh, Skype. You know, people can call us, of course, at two zero six 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 geek. But the Skype mailbox. That's right. You, uh, the, the Skype mailbox, and, and a lot of these comments, the, the very clear ones that you hear, are yes. coming through the Skype mailbox, and it's simply Mac Geek Gab, uh, and you can send a message through. I'll be honest, I, I don't, there are some weeks where I simply don't get to, to go through the Skype mailbox. It's a whole different workflow that I've got to go through to, to siphon all the stuff out of it. Skype doesn't make it easy to just extract uh, WAV files, so I actually have an Audio Hijack Pro script set up that yada, yada, yada. Leave your stuff there. It's a workflow. Yeah, workflow yeah. automator does That's right. those. Really yeah. great. Absolutely. But I don't I know how to, I have to fire it up and do it. So yeah, I don't know how uh, well Skype does with. I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't think Skype does it. it. It's actually not too bad. Mm-hmm. Automa- uh, Audio Hijack Pro makes it pretty easy. I just mm-hmm. have to do it and, and get in the flow. It doesn't appear in the email box like our like our voicemails do to uh, the the six 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 geek number. So yeah, uh, you got to do Scott's uh, Scott's uh, point here. <laughs> Scott's point. Oh yeah, we can we can jump to Scott. That's fine. We'll jump back to Mail App. That's right. You want to read it? No, I'll I'll read it. I got it right here. I think you got it. I got it. Uh, so Scott writes. Uh, 
I know you've beaten the cell phone car discussion into the ground, but check this out. Drivers in DelKalb County, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta, will be fined $500 if they get in in a wreck while on their cell phones. And it's true. They actually started out with, with proposing a $100 fine, and they're bumping it up to a $500 fine. And I actually really like this. I, I'm a big, big – I have huge problems with prior restraint laws, right? So telling me that I can't talk on the phone Ooh. while I'm driving is ridiculous because how do you know what I can you're, do and can't do, you're, right? You're an adult. I'm an adult, right. And, and, and so yeah. if, I, okay. but if I do something wrong, i.e. if I get into a wreck or, or even just, just you know run a red light or whatever, if I, if I break a law – uh, mm-hmm. actively break a law like that, well, then you're going to go ahead and tell me, well, you ran a red light and, and you're supposed to stop and we're going to give you a fine. And in addition to that, because you were talking on your cell phone at the time that you did it, we're going to triple the fine or whatever. And and they're not doing that globally here, but but certainly with with, and, uh, with collisions, they are. And I think it's great. I think that's And fantastic. to me, that embraces personal responsibility. Bingo. Hey, you know, if you think you can handle it, go mm-hmm. for it. Because... Um, you know, my family is, uh, you know, comes from Germany, and, and right. at one point, I don't know if it's still current, but uh, my parents told me about uh, this thing, which may or may not be still current, but um, they had something similar where if you chose not to wear your restraint device, your seatbelt, and you had a boo-boo due to you not wearing it, yep. um, sorry, your insurance company is like, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's good for right. you. That's hey, right. you exercised your, uh, your uh, you know, judgment. And uh, it was you bad. failed. That's right. <laughs> so if you if you sustain an injury that you could have prevented due to wearing a restraint device, yep. now of course there are the rare cases. Yes, you know I could get thrown free from the wreckage. Though I've, hey, I don't know. I know some EMT people, and they said you know a lot of them tell me I've never unbuckled a dead person, which uh, is good. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, but anyways, um, hey, I'm, I'm all with that. So uh, you know you uh, you. Uh, Make your choices and you pay for them. That's right. Ah! All right, we're gonna we're gonna do uh, at least one What's more next? question on mail here because uh, Ken Ken had a question that a couple of others had asked. Oh, Ken, yeah. Hey, Dave and John, this hey. is Ken from Little Point, Texas, and I was calling in in reference to a comment you had made in episode sixty-seven yep. uh, regarding your email. Uh, you had mentioned that you uh, your email takes uh, an interesting path going from your server uh, mm. through Gmail to right. so take advantage of the spam filtering and then back to your server. And was wondering if you could explain that a little more uh, on your show, perhaps. Uh, that, that's something I'd like to uh, like to experiment with. So, anyway, I appreciate what you guys are doing, and I'm kind of a new listener. I just found it a couple of weeks ago, and have uh, gone back and trying to listen to some of the back episodes. But uh, keep up the good work. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Okay. Uh, were, you, were you doing a pop pickup? I was at Gmail? one point in time, but I'm not anymore. But but I'll, I'll I'll talk through it right. So the idea is, and this all started a little over a year ago when I got a Trio, which is you know similar to a BlackBerry handheld device that that you know brings my email to it. I've been using uh, SpamSiv on my Mac for years to manage the spam, and it works great. However, it manages the spam once it gets to my Mac. I knew. That if I got a trio, 90% of the mail that came to it would just be spam because there's no spam filter in the in the path there, right? The mail just comes into to the server at, at, uh, at Backbeat Media, which is the server that manages all the TMO mail, etc. And, uh, and, you know, and if I forwarded that to my trio, well, then that would be that. So the idea was figure out a way to get a spam filter in the flow there. And, uh, and of course, Gmail has it. So... What what I do, and I'm not married to Gmail, but it's the best so far. So if somebody's got an idea for a uh, for a spam filter, even if it's something that I can run on, I believe we're running a Linux server for our mail server, and we're running Qmail. So uh, so if anybody's got any ideas, I'm I'm all ears. Even if it's an IMAP based uh, spam filtering solution, really really happy to hear it. We do use Spam Assassin and some uh, black blacklists and real time blacklists, but uh, but that's not nearly enough. So. The mail comes in to, let's say you send mail to Dave at MacObserver.com, right? The mail comes in to Dave at MacObserver.com, and, and, no, and that address does nothing other than forward it out to an account of mine at Gmail. The account at Gmail processes it by, just by nature of the way Gmail works. It processes it through its spam filter, and then it puts it in my Gmail inbox. I've told Gmail to then forward that back to another account, a separate account at my server, that now is checked by everything, both mail app on my desktop and my trio. I'll check it via IMAP so I have the one global inbox that I described on episode 67. 
But by the time it gets there, it's already been through Gmail spam filters, which is a beautiful thing. Um, and, and really, that's it. Now, if you're not using IMAP and you're using POP, you can, you can accomplish the same thing. Forward the mail out to Gmail. And then from Gmail, you just query it, like John said, with POP access. And bam, you can pull it in. Gmail doesn't support IMAP, uh, which they should. But, you know, hey, it's their stuff. They can do what they want. So, uh, so that's that. Yes, I could have a spam filter running on my Mac, and I do, that would pull the stuff out of my box IMAP-wise and sort of manage the spam on my trio, and I do that. But if my Mac's not on, then I want at least something in the middle. So Gmail is it for now. If I find something better, I'd much rather manage it myself. Uh, and by manage it myself, I mean have it under our control. I wouldn't actually manage it. I'd, I'd let our, uh, our engineers do that. So Does that make sense, John? <laughs> No. no okay great perfect <laughs> excellent that just what i wanted to hear <laughs> oh where are we i have I, something i'd like to talk about but i don't know if we have time well what is it well it involved oh it was one of the things on our list here but it was just the, right. the, the 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 blasted movie industry Should we can we? talk about we can talk about well can we talk about this quickly here Forty minutes. Uh, it, it leads to a rant. It does lead to a rant. Uh, but I'll read you it. You know, we, so, we haven't been here for two weeks, so that's right. So, uh, Carla writes in. Thanks for the great podcast. I enjoy it. Yeah, blah blah blah. Uh, recently, <laughs> I received two emails from my ISP. I know who her ISP is. It's my ISP. It's Comcast. Mm-hmm. I've I've seen an email like this. I'm not saying it came to me. I'm just saying I've seen mm-hmm. an email like this. Recently, I received two emails from my ISP saying that pirated movies had been traced to my IP address and that infringement of any copyrighted work is a violation of her ISP's acceptable use policy and may result in suspension or termination of your service account. However, none of us are running BitTorrent on our computers and no one in my household downloaded these or any other movies. I called immediately to notify them that we hadn't downloaded these and was told that no action was being taken. Uh, we weren't, uh, we were just expected to erase these movies if we had them on our computers. Also sent an email in so they'd have a record of this in writing. What she goes on to say is that this happened two days after she installed a new wireless network at her house. Aha. And so she's guessing that someone hacked into her network and made it look like they were the guilty parties. And really, if someone, if you, if you install a wireless network with no security, someone doesn't have to do anything to make it look like you're the guilty party. they just, and you know, it's your connection. So there you go. This is very timely because sure I do is. believe you may have read about this because I do believe the state of California yeah. passed a law or a bill. I don't know if it's a law yet saying okay. that providers of wireless access points have to include a little note saying, uh, here's some guidance on how to not be the magnet for terrorists, child pornographers, uh, and drug dealers in your neighborhood. In other words, here's how to secure, because those are yeah. usually the groups that you, you yeah. know, when you're talking about that sort of thing, um, or movie thieves in this case. So um, yeah. I think they're going to propose, like, which to me is probably a good thing. No, it is. People need you to know, be aware. Because the problem yeah. is you plug it in and it works. And That's right. People That's have right. been spoiled. Yeah. Damn you, Apple, have been spoiled yeah. by the Mac or just anything that's well-designed, where if you plug it in and it works, you're done. You're done. Right. End of story. And it's true. <laughs> With the, the, you know, the Linksys routers, which, which seem to be the most common, but even the, the Netgears and the D-Links and all that mine. stuff. Yeah, and you, you plug it in and it You plug works. it in, it starts working, and bam, you're done. You, you, there's no incentive to do anything else, especially if you're on a Mac. Because all the software that comes with these things, save the Apple Airport uh, base stations, of course, but the mm. software that comes with the Linksys base stations isn't for the Mac. It's for Windows. And really, all the instructions tell you to do is plug it in and you're done. So, uh, you know, there's no, there's no installer to walk you through saying, listen, dummy, you ought to put a password on this and here's why. You just plug it in and it goes. Now... Of course, the vendors could make it so that it doesn't work out of the box, and you do have to type in a password. But uh, you know, then then, yeah. then then you know, watch their customer support costs go through the roof, right? I but bought you know, this I router; it doesn't work. So yeah, though though I did get the latest uh, uh, fifty four uh, oh, RTG, I think it is. We'll get the exact model yeah. number, but but uh, but I got the latest Linksys one because my other one just kind of died suddenly. Yeah. Yeah. And they do include Windows software, and, and it looks like what they have on the Windows side is a secure setup mode. That's right. Absolutely. We press a magic button. Okay, you've seen this too. Yeah. We press the button, yeah. and it does some sort of you know SSL or some other basic encryption during the setup, and also just make it's, sure that it sets up WPA encryption is what it does. Yeah. 
Yeah, and WPA yeah. for everybody, and we, we actually have got some emails uh, yeah. from folks. WEP is better than nothing. Correct. WEP 64 or 128 or whatever, it's better than nothing. And there's a bunch of things, and we've talked about this before. But WPA or WPA2 is really what you should be doing. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. it's not really, at least at this point, not prone to any known attacks. But yeah. so, so that's the one thing that, that you know gets me. The, you know the security thing, but what really burns my biscuit, Dave? How's your <laughs> how, how burnt is your biscuit, John? <laughs> it's just these big, huge industry consortiums like MPAA. Don't just get me started. You know, trying to crush these people. Like, and and fortunately, so this poor person. The the one thing is, it almost sounds to me like. Guilty until proven innocent. We it assume is, man. you did something naughty. And there, it seems there's no redress. You can't say... Don't get me started. Uh, I would almost suggest to this person... The kids are going to learn new words if you get me started about yeah. on this. Yeah. Uh, but what I'm saying, but there is a guy, and we're going to link to this, mm-hmm. but a, a, a cool guy. Yeah. I've read up on his case, and you've seen it in the yeah, various and, tech blogs. Any, anybody, that's, anybody that's out there that's either getting one of these letters from their ISP or worse, being threatened by the movie companies, check out what John's about to tell you here. Because this guy's yeah. heading down so the, the right guy, path. So the guy, Sean Hogan, apparently right. he's a guy that has some bucks, and he was basically approached by uh, the MPAA through yeah. his ISP saying, we detected you stealing this movie. I believe it was uh, Meet the Fockers. Right. right? Pay us 2500 bucks, and we'll go away. But the thing is, first off, the guy already owns the movie on DVD. That's so right. why would he download it since we know? Well, let, let's be clear can... about this, though. They aren't going after people for downloading nearly as much as they're going after people for Share. uploading, right? Because Sharing. Downloading, he didn't. It's arguable whether he did anything wrong downloading that movie, right? If he already owned a copy of it, downloading another copy, uh, you know, it gets into a very, very gray area. Sharing, I'm okay with that. Publishing the movie to someone else, especially to someone else anonymous, that pretty much goes, you know, outside of the realm of fair use, right? And and the but the, I think the they were they were getting him for for downloading. Or... No, no, it was uploading. That's the that's the only thing they're going after people for is the, is the sharing. That's that, and that's what Carla's message is, and that's what Sean Hogan's getting getting mm. getting pinched for. But even that, you know, yeah. an IP address is a very Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah, just know. that isn't it's enough, not enough, especially if you're on DHCP and your address could change. Now, yes, if the people who are running the network check their router logs, yeah. and check which connection and check the exact time and check the MAC address of which is the hardware address of the machine, assuming someone didn't hack it or break into it. You know, that's just. And the way they approach it is just something that, and I think we'll wrap up the rant here, but the way they do it is like basically they're, and and I feel bad for the ISPs. They're putting the ISPs in the middle and basically ISPs are like, we don't want our legal department to grow tenfold, so we're not going to get all the lawyers to fight these requests for information, so we're just going to assume they're right and say, you bad and and stop doing this. But the whole thing is just... It's crazy. And for people like this, so it sounds like a you know, we're going to trust our, uh, you know, <laughs> our legal system our listener on this one. No, oh. we're going to trust oh. our listener on this, yeah. that they did this unknowingly. Sure. And that they just happened to get a hack um, with a newly installed thing. Yeah. They're, are they guilty? Maybe they're guilty of not knowing how to secure yeah. their access point. But yeah, that's right. other than that, they weren't intentionally sharing. And that's right. who the heck knows how their machine was set up. But, but yeah, just the, the strong arm tactics where it's like we're, we're going to crush you because we're a huge group and maybe settle for this amount of money. And it sounds like, yeah, this one case, which we're definitely going to link to, I got at least two links to it. The guy's like, no way. Right. I'm not I'm gonna, settling. And it sounds going like going to court. I'm going to, and, actually I, and he's, latest, he's got a ton of money. So he's going to spend a couple hundred grand to go to court and make this thing heard, which is good. I, I mean, it, I'm glad that this guy's doing it. So it, it, it is a good thing. So, I mean, the RAA, I've heard of them going after people yeah, who uh, yeah. are dead. <laughs> That's right. Which is bad, or, or people that don't have computers. So, up. Uh, oh, did goes. you let the band in? I did let the band in. There's a couple okay. of things we have to talk about while the band's playing, though. The first is Go a very, it. very personal thing. Uh, John and I talked about this privately earlier this week. If anybody Uh-oh. out there knows anything about digital persona, 
And this is the technology that uses biometrics, fingerprints uh, specifically, to uh-huh. to identify people. I'd love to hear about it. They're actually talking about using it, actually, not just talking about it. They are using it at uh, my daughter's elementary school here uh-huh. and uh, to identify the kids for their lunch money. I mean, this isn't the Pentagon, folks. You know, this is lunch money. So we got bullies, what, cutting off people's fingers to, you know, to steal lunch money. So I, I haven't let my daughter, uh, I haven't signed the permission slip for her to do it this way. She's doing it the old way through a pin number. I don't blame you, man. Yeah. So if anybody knows anything about digital persona, specifically re- with regards to this, what I'm what I'm trying to avoid is sentencing my daughter to a lifetime of lack of privacy because this database isn't secure or you know something well, like that. So you know, without- if you want that sort of thing, you should yeah. go to our little uh, adventure on uh, the web here, Nation States. Nation States is awesome. So because we've boy, got. I got. I got a. No, actually, I'm sorry. I'm a uh, father knows best uh, yeah, dictatorship. I think. So jo- what John's <laughs> referring to is something we mentioned on show number 67, uh, nationstates.net. If you join the group or the region, Geeks Unite. That's where John and I and uh, 50 other listeners and friends are are out there playing. Yes. Come join us. It doesn't take up a whole lot of time if you don't want it to. It's a web based game. You can you know interact with it once every couple of days or three times a day if you want. But it just doesn't doesn't take up a lot of time at once, which for me is a beautiful thing. So it's a game I've been enjoying. I know John's been enjoying it. Uh, my brother's out there playing too. I'm, we're all having a lot of fun. I'm a screaming so. blueberry. Oh, you are. You're telling them who you are, huh? Yeah. Uh, let's just say that my flag now has a picture of me presiding over my uh, my loyal subjects, and and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so you can you can search and and you can find me. But uh, but that's uh, that's that. So we've got that. Uh, Next week, I believe John and I are going to do a show that we've been trying to uh, put together for a little while here, talking about all our favorite new apps, stuff that we uh. found recently. Uh, but we may be preempted by uh, by Ricky Spiro. He's got a, a new Mac Pro, and we may bring him on to talk to us. So we may do what? both. I don't know. We, we, we're going to see what happens. A Mac Pro. Wait. Ricky's got a Mac Pro. Yeah. Four. So. Four processors. Four, well, kind of. Four cores for certain. Two dual co- Wow. Yeah. So he is the alpha geek on the TMO staff right now. Don't forget to go to Portable Media, Media Expo. Uh, that's that's coming up here. Just a couple of weeks. John and I will definitely yeah. be there. As September, will Ricky. September twenty eighth, October 29th and uh, I'm ready. Yeah, 29th and thirtieth. Awesome. So. Cashfly hosting is where you've downloaded this from. Uh, something new we're we're introducing is our podcast marketplace. You can buy the 6i isolator earphones from Edomotic, the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, and of course, TeachMac from TeachMac.com. If you want to sponsor the show, visit the Backbeat Media Podcast Network, and uh, I think that's a wrap. Have a great week. Thanks for staying subscribed. Subscribe again if you want the AAC feed. Michael's mm-hmm. doing a great job. And uh, 206-666-GEEK, Skype to MacGeekGab. Of course, MacGeekGab at MacObserver.com is the place to uh, to email us. Isn't that right? Place. The time to rise has been engaged. <laughs> Made up.